Next on Community Matters, both sides of the Marshall Megasite lawsuit. The committee's ultimate goal is to have the 810 signatures accepted by the clerk and schedule a referendum to give the city of Marshall residents their right to vote. I respect their rights to hire their attorneys and do what they, they think needs to be done, but I can't imagine what the set of facts is that would, would stop this at this point. We'll hear from both of them and also try to bring some understanding as it relates to the legal process going on in all of this. That and our Wiggly Tale update coming up on Community Matters for Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. Brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. I'm Richard Pyatt. Good morning. The program is called Community Matters. We're glad to have you along for that. Richard Pyatt here with you on Saturday mornings on 95.3 WBCK. And whenever you need to check an episode, you can stream it on demand at Battle Creek Podcast. Com. If you've been paying attention to the news, you know, there was a bit of movement in the whole Blue Oval Battery Park uh, situation in Marshall. And back with us to talk a little bit about his perspective on that is Glenn Kowalski with a committee for Marshall, not the mega site. I'm sure that uh, if you've been listening uh, to Community Matters over the last several weeks and months, you know, we've been covering this and Glenn's been with us on a number of occasions and he's back today to uh, help fill in some perspective. So welcome back, Glenn. Thanks, Richard. Let's try to understand, first of all, what happened this week in terms of uh, your lawsuit and the progress that has been happening. An attempt to, I suppose, force is the right word, a referendum on the plant in Marshall. But also there was a nugget of this that was attempting to uh, stop the work at the moment. And that's the part the judge talked about this week, right? That's correct. So we had two hearings with the judge in the circuit court. The first hearing was to hear arguments on the intervention uh, of four additional parties. So, you know, without getting too complicated, there was kind of a piling on, if you will, by by other entities filing motions to intervene, which essentially means they wanted to join the uh, lawsuit. And so that was MEDA, of course. It was also MEDC and the Michigan Strategic Fund. The ballot committee, their acronym is MCJO, and then, of course, Ford Motor Company. So it's kind of a piling on effect of, of some of these entities. But the judge basically ruled that only one group, MEDA, he was going to allow to intervene and therefore be part of the defense side. So uh, still disappointed in that outcome, but it is a low bar for intervention. I think the judge, uh, the court was clear that uh, Meta would represent the other parties. So the second part of the day, actually later in the day, was to hear the uh, arguments for and against the temporary restraining order. So the judge heard the arguments and rebuttals uh, from our side and then uh, in each party. So that would have been Meta and uh, the city of Marshall. And then he chose to make a written opinion or decision within five days. So that was Wednesday, the, the 12th. So then on Monday, the 17th, we got that written opinion and ruling and he declined our temporary restraining order. So that temporary restraining order was in our mind to keep the rezoning from happening until uh, the court could hear the full case. 
so not to damage the land any further and not to start the actual construction of the building, which is likely eminent. That ruling came in on Monday uh, in written form. Part two of this is the question about the referendum and the petition signatures and, and that part, which has yet to be heard. Yeah, so th- so that's the uh, the actual uh, rid of mandamus uh, hearing, which is really our, you know, the committee uh, for Marshall, not the megasites. Ultimate goal is to have the 810 signatures uh, from valid registered voters within the city of Marshalls accepted by the clerk and schedule the uh, the referendum to give the city of Marshall residents their right to vote on the rezoning. So that is ahead of us. There is a hearing scheduled for August 9th. There's a bit of confusion right now on what that hearing is. So our lawyers are working with the court right now to try and understand what exactly that that is. Again, we're we're fully expecting that the, the opposition will again try to complicate this as, as much as possible. So we'll see. Did they try and complicate it for you in your view with the interpretation of the zoning and and that uh, temporary restraining order? Yeah, I mean, I think the the complications more recently was just the the four additional parties trying to intervene right so that would complicate because now you have to hear five arguments uh, rather than two in, you know or one and you have to defend against five arguments so that we were asking that those parties not be able to intervene in the, the court battle because they have lots of money right i mean the opposition is is clear you know, had an interview the other day and it was brought up that, you know, the state of Michigan has billions of dollars and Ford Motor Company has billions of dollars. And so you're it's kind of a David and Goliath type situation. So, right. This doesn't deter you, though, right? No, we are fully prepared for the ultimately the, the hearing on the right to petition. So we're prepared for that. And uh, whatever other things come forward. Uh, the group is prepared to address. Uh, you know, I think we still have strong community support and, uh, you know, looking forward to increasing that support so that we can continue the legal battle. Yeah. So let's talk about what potential next steps are happening here. So let's presume that um, the temporary restating order didn't happen. So the earth keeps moving, right, at the mega site. As you pointed out, the the construction is imminent. In the meanwhile, let's suppose the next hearing goes in, in your favor. So there will be a referendum that takes place. There'll be time to prepare for that. There'd be a, a date set for that, presumably. Meanwhile, the construction's still happening. Let's let's just assume. Uh, what happens if the referendum goes in the favor of the committee? The residents, the voters have said no to it. Construction's already begun. What's the outcome you want to see there? Well, I think I think what should happen is that the land should be put back uh, as close to what it was before the rezoning would have allowed in terms of the site, I'll say the site building. The work that's been done to date has all been done under permits by the county and uh, EGLE. And so, you know, that's something that apparently any landowner can they can knock down their trees. They can uh, they can get rid of a road if it's in the middle of their property. 
so those are all well within the rights of the property owner. It would only be work like footings uh, for buildings and any kind of concrete poured or, or you know, superstructure put up that would be beyond what would be allowable, you know, without the rezoning. So, yeah, so I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming they would put it back. They would have to reverse that process. But, you know, I don't really know, to be honest with you, we've never been through anything like this before. And I'm sure there's examples out there of something similar. Well, what you say sure makes sense. The notion that on your view, this land would not have been touched. So if the possibility were for this not to happen, then you would wish for it to be restored. So you brought up an interesting point, the the idea of landowners being able to do what they want with their property. Uh, yet the idea of a referendum would be saying, sorry, you can't build this property here. You can't build this plant here. So there's a, a threshold that crosses in your thinking there somewhere, right? Maybe you could articulate that a bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, property rights are, are very important. Um, and, and this is a little different in that, that uh, the state of Michigan is involved with large amounts of money and and started buying this land in 2018 without a lot of uh, public I guess transparency, but rezoning is is a different matter, right? I mean, now it's land use. What is the land to be used for? And that's not necessarily a landowner right, at least from my perspective. Um, that's a proposal. I can propose something, and then there's a process, right? So if if you want to rezone, you typically go to your planning commission. You talk about what you would like to do. And, you know, that was that was done in this case. In this case, because it was a 425 transfer, so meaning it was transferred from the uh, township to the city, there was what, you know, it's called the Joint Planning Commission. And uh, I, I think we may have talked about that, but that planning commission is representative of both um, city and township uh, planning commissioners. And they did come together and they did review the recommendations and they rejected it, right, four to two. Unfortunately, and again, I think this has been very well planned, the interpretation by the city was going back to uh, a master agreement that you use city rules when it's a commercial property that's been transferred to the city. So specific to the I-3 zoning, what they did is they said, well, there is there is no joint planning commission input to the site planning. And by the way, there's no there's no public comment at our meetings. Uh, and those meetings are conducted by contractors and uh, city staff who will be really the sole approvers, if you will, of any any site plans by by Ford Motor Company. And I think initially uh, they've given a partial approval for uh, Ford Motor Company to apply for footings, building footings. I don't know if that application has taken place or not yet. So the the referendum you think could stop this uh, with particular illustration of what you just talked about, the idea that the zoning part of it went through in the shadows. Yeah. So when I look at the referendum, so let's let's assume we fast forward and, and we're successful in, yeah. in the judgment 
and uh, and a referendum is scheduled, you know, in contrast with what we hear from, I'll say primarily uh, James Durian at Meta, but also the city, I don't think they necessarily have overwhelming support. I think there there are factions. Uh, I think some small business owners support it. Some landowners may support it. But when we went through our petition drive, we actually kept track of who said yes and who said no. It wasn't just the signatures. So we have statistical data that says that a majority of the people that we contacted, which was in excess of 810, right? So we had 810 positive signatures, but we also had a number of people who said, no, thank you. I either am for the site or I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to be part of a petition. Yeah. And so we can take all that data and we can look at it and we can say that we have data that says a statistical data uh, that says the majority of the city of resident registered voters do not want it rezoned. And, and that's in contrast with just statements like an overwhelming majority. Well, the opposition's never shown us any data, right? They just talk about it and, and they get letters from you know, their Chamber of Commerce participants. And and so, you know, I would push back on that, that it, it isn't a small group. We're not a small group. We're a large group, actually. And it's a large faction within the city that doesn't want this rezoning. So I think that gives us a real positive feeling and, and is, is a big part of why we want those people to have a say-so. We want everyone in the city of Marshall to have a say-so. We would have liked to have had that in the township uh, that didn't happen, as you know, and that's a separate element. You know, we're we're attempting to recall the only uh, trustee that we can. That's a separate topic. But I think, and maybe this is related, I I went to a Mackinac Center presentation yesterday, and it was about can Michigan buy their way to growth, I think I'm paraphrasing. And it was a very good presentation because the Mackinac Center, as you likely know, collects a lot of data on economic uh, elements and 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 kind of what's going on in the in the political arena. Mm-hmm. And they clearly have data that says that subsidies just don't work. And I think that kind of information can again feeds it feeds into the story because. Uh, across Michigan, of course, I think the number is like almost $4 billion in subsidies this year. In other states as well, Georgia that we've talked to in South Dakota, this is a thing that's happening where um, it's almost like central government, right? The government decides, and it's a very small group of people within MEDC that make these decisions. They say, well, we think this is the best industry to subsidize. Well, that that doesn't really it doesn't really sound like the capitalist system uh, that I think most of us, you know, believe in. It sounds more like a centralized uh, government or a social a social socialist government. But it is happening and it and it's politically correct, right? So if I say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna create 2,500 jobs in Marshall, uh and you know the numbers come out, and you say, "Well, it's going to cost 1.7 billion, and that's 170 thousand dollars per job." The picture says, "Wow, 2,500 jobs is really good." 
But when you look at payback, you know, I mean, it sounds simple. It sounds silly. But if you were to put that $1.7 billion in the bank, you'd do a lot better than the return on investment that you get from these subsidies, according to the Mackinac Center. You know, they've studied these and the return is just not good for the state of Michigan. Also, the performance of companies that are subsidized, when they look at how those companies have done, many, many have failed, of course, but the performance isn't as good as companies that aren't subsidized. Um, it kind of, I think it kind of goes back to an old sales uh, uh, story that I was told one time, you know, if you give away free samples, people handle it differently than if they have to pay for something. There's a larger sense of ownership. But, you know, like I was saying, I think this is a trend because it's politically powerful. Glenn Kowalski also says they're prepared to consider all of their options if things don't go their way, but does admit he isn't sure what the committee's appetite is to continue the fight long term. 